Welcome to Shame the Thrones, your weekly recap for HBO's SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket of TV oh, shows. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. A Game of Thrones. And uh, I'm Doug. With me, as always, Brian. And Brian just loves these intros that I do. Every week, he loves how they just get more clever and more topical. Highlight of my week. Yeah, he just he can't wait to hear what I'm going to say or who uh, I'm going to stick it to Game of Thrones this week. Um, you got up good, you fucker. <laughs> All right, so uh, this is a uh, a corker of an episode, I have to say. This is uh, season one, episode nine, Baylor, or, uh, you know, R.I.P. Ned, however you want to frame this. Um, I guess we'll just start there and just talk about the historical significance of this episode. Obviously, I watched uh, the show after reading the books, and you were the other way around, at least for this season. Um, so did you get all that spoiled for you? Because you didn't jump in, you said, until like season two or three. Uh, no, I didn't know that this was going to happen. And I went back and watched it from the beginning before I didn't jump into two or three. So no, I did not see uh, Ned's execution coming until you think, oh yeah, wait, it's Sean Bean. Of course he's going to die. Right, he dies and everything. The compilation, yeah. if you haven't, and this should be old news for any uh, most of our listeners out there, but if you haven't seen, uh, go to YouTube and Sean Beam dying compilation. It's pretty funny. He does die in almost every movie he's ever, literally ever been in. So go check that out. And then, then, and then after you watch that, make sure to watch the uh, supercut of every grunt from Home Improvement. It's awesome. That sounds disturbing. I don't think I want five minutes in. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I think it's only 16 minutes, which was surprising. You would have thought there would be more grunts on that show. Yeah, uh, but uh, go back and just tell me what your thoughts were. Were you taken aback? Were you shocked? Were you like, what, WTF? Um, yeah, th- this was shocking. I, 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 you knew that. I mean, you kind of got the sense that you didn't know what was going to happen in the show, but you still didn't have any clue that Ned, the, I mean, the, the main good guy, I would say, was going to be killed. Yeah, I the mean, clear-cut I, protagonist, yeah. you would think, right? Yeah, absolutely. It was, sh- it was definitely shocking. Um, and thankfully, despite watching it several years later, it wasn't it wasn't spoiled for me. Unlike some of the other big things, like the the Red Wedding, I remember watching. I didn't really give a shit because I already knew it was going to happen. That's fucked up. It sucks. Because I remember people like um, the day after, like I had to go walk around my neighborhood for an hour. Like I couldn't get over it. Like all these crazy uh, people were way too invested in the thing. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I remember uh, looking forward to that night with Glee. You knew I knew it was coming as a book reader, and I remember posting on Facebook, "It's a nice day for a red wedding," um, and just the shock. I wish I would have known somebody who was into the show to film them and get one of those reaction videos on the internet. Sure. But, uh, half the reason why I'm talking to you on this fucking podcast is because nobody I know or associate with is really a fan of the books or the show, besides a very casual, um, casual viewer. Um, so that's my sad state of affairs, but, uh, just, uh, to give you my background, uh, when I read the books, I think I said this when Ned got taken captive and I think I read from the books that like it said, Peter Pitar, whatever his name is, shoves a knife under his chin, um, and says, you shouldn't have trust me. So I thought at that point, like he shoved it under his chin, like into his fucking head cavity and killed him. So I thought Ned was dead at that point. Um, so it wasn't as much of a shock, but it was still like, what the fuck? Um, yeah, that's one thing the books do is, is that uh, it seems like every chapter 
leaves a cliffhanger, which is it's kind of genius because you really want to see what's going to happen, but you might not get back to that character for ten chapters later, uh, particularly in the later books when there's fucking fifty different uh, narrators. Yeah, yeah, that is one thing. I mean, and you got to remember, I say this all the time, but George R. R. Martin was a TV writer, so he knew how to, you know. Get them to tune in next week, I guess. But uh, yeah. this, unlike TV, the chapters are usually in one location or definitely from one person's point of view. So you'd have to read several chapters. I remember doing that a couple times. Is like uh, I think Arya, when it comes to the Red Wedding, she's hit in the head by the blunt of an axe, and we'll say it's the blunt of the axe. Um, and you're you think she might have gotten killed as well, but I you know thumb through. You know, some stupid Danny chapters or whatever. Just make sure there was another Arya chapter coming up. Um, you know, I guess that's a way of cheating, but still, fuck it, you know. Uh, but there were lots... You're not joking. There's lots of these cliffhangers. Is this person dead? Are they not? Yeah. Which is why we all have this discussion, or I had the discussion about Stannis. I really think they should have just shown his fucking death. Um, if, if he is truly dead. And if he's not, at this point, it's ridiculous, but... Yeah, actually, uh, in the the show writers uh, have said about this episode is they made sure to show the sword going through Sean Bean's neck to make so there was no doubt that he was dead in right. the show. So why would they yeah. backslide and not do Stannis? I don't know. I don't know. Let's yeah. not devolve, but uh, let's let's jump right into this episode. So uh, overall impressions, though, um, how would you feel about this episode? Once again, we'll give ratings, but I, I think it was pretty solid. I think just like last week. Um, it was all over the place, but almost everything was compelling about it. Uh, it was really, I dare say, very good to great TV. Uh, I would say good to very good. Um, there was uh, there was some some things I didn't really care for, and we'll, we'll get them as we go through. And there was uh, there wasn't a ton of action in between. It seemed like there was some filler, which we'll talk about. And in fact, some uh, the show writers have actually said that some of it was filler oh, because really? they didn't have enough runtime. Yeah, you'll have a certain to scene. When we get I'm, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, you'll, you'll be able to figure it out. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, good, it's still a great episode. And in the ending, um, I mean, when Game of Thrones goes out on a cliffhanger. Uh, it's usually pretty good, and this is one of the – or not a cliffhanger, a shocking moment. Yeah, one um, of those – no – well, I think they might have had uh, theme music, but they probably shouldn't have if they ended it with the credits. It should have just ended in silence. Um, mm-hmm. All right, so let's jump right in. Um, so we open to Ned in the dungeon, and this is a, this is a pretty good scene. It's There's a bit of an info dump between Varys and Ned, but the actors, I think, really raise it to – what could have been kind of boring material, it's interesting. Agreed. Um, so so Varys is back. He has some water, tells Ned about Sansa's plea. Uh, there's some background on Varys. I see he was an actor before he got his uh, twig and berries cut off. Um, he's playing a role now. Uh, when Ned presses on him on who he serves or what his goal is, he says that he wants peace, which, of course, we know that he doesn't. Yeah. Which it's kind of weird that Varys is the, the kind of the broker here of this deal, uh, and he's – but – He's. T- I mean, if he really wanted chaos, why is he even talking to Ned? Why is he brokering this this peace? It doesn't make sense. Uh, Littlefinger yeah. is the only one that want that wants chaos, um, and yeah. he wants the Iron Throne out of that chaos. Whereas Varys, once again, we still don't know his true motivations, but by best guess, what we know now in season six is that he is a Targaryen loyalist from the beginning. I guess yeah. so. But so you would think he'd still want chaos and wouldn't be the one brokering this type of deal. Right. Uh, regardless, though, um, so Varys tells Ned uh, what's going on with Rob, also tells him that Stannis is 
on the way. Uh, Stannis is, of course, the true heir to Robert Baratheon. Uh, Varys says that his goal is to serve the realm. Uh, of course, we just talked about that. And then Varys discusses the plea deal, uh, pledge fealty, say Joffrey's the true, true king, you take the black. And uh, Ned continues to resist, but finally Varys ends the scene by um, bringing up the importance of his daughter's life, which is uh, clearly the thing that convinces Ned to go ahead and, and take the uh, plea deal. Yeah, I know. So we have a mutual friend who's a lawyer, and I know you know that person probably would have uh, you know a more uh, conviction about whether to take this plea deal or not. But would you take it? I don't know. Ned's. I mean, I don't know if it makes sense for. I mean, I guess it does. We've talked about Ned and his how he's honorable, but then he will cave or he will do things that aren't exactly yeah. honorable. Yeah, exactly. You can't do two yeah. honorable things at once when there's a choice. There, you either are dishonorable for honorable reasons like the ends justify the means um and he's done that several times so yeah and i don't know that i I mean i think that he has to realize that there's going to be this huge war coming because of the all these events so i mean it it wouldn't make sense i think that for him to go ahead and and you know uh, agree to the deal because then he could potentially prevent war across the nations that will wipe out a lot of people i mean um, and then throw on the, the uh, daughter on top of that. I mean, I, I do think it makes sense for him to take the deal. My question, yeah, it does take, make him. Uh, it makes sense for him to take the deal, but my question. I mean, otherwise, is, he's just uh, he's just being. He's his only concern is the people who are dead. I mean, that's the only reason for him not to take the deal. You know what I mean? Well, my my question is, what happens to him if he doesn't take the deal? Because it didn't seem like his death was impending. It seemed like he was just going to rot in that cell um, indefinitely. Uh, as almost like a prisoner. Didn't seem like there was a, you know, like in season six, we have these trials between Mar- Marjorie's trial and. Um, well, he's leveraged right now. Yeah, he's leveraged to keep the yeah. North in line. So uh, right. if he doesn't, but if he doesn't confess, will he just rot in a jail cell indefinitely? I would that, I would think so. I I would do that then, unless I have like. Unless Vari comes down and says they're starting to beat your daughter or or whatever, or they, uh, some, you know, it's like all veiled threats. I would think that, you know, my kid in the North, Rob, is going to rally and apply pressure. I I, I think I might have taken the deal, but I might have waited until shit got worse, let's say. Yeah. Yeah, I got you. That's fair. But uh, other than that... uh, I don't know. It's a uh, it's an interesting sh- scene, primarily because of Varys. Um, you know, and Varys definitely drops casually that the, his daughters will probably uh, suffer if he protects his honor um, or chooses to die um, with his honor intact. Uh, right. And obviously, that's what gets him to turn. But not a whole hell of a lot else goes on. So no. All right, so let's so go where do we go next? The twins, um, and even though uh, so the twins are uh, Bannerman to Catelyn Stark's uh, father, uh, who's Lord of Riverrun, and even though they're quote unquote allies, uh, the Northerners approach as if they're a uh, adversarial group. Um, but the first thing we see is Theon shooting down ravens that are carrying messages, and the messages seem. Uh, innocent enough, but Catelyn knows better um, and doesn't trust Lord Frey. They call him the late Lord Frey because he showed up um, after all the battles were won and declared for um, 
King Robert during the rebellion against the Targaryens. So um, there's all this back and forth, and eventually they need to get across this river to attack, I guess, the armies of the Lannisters, and Cat volunteers to be the broker of this deal and enter the twins. Um, so she does so, and we meet Walter Frey, who ugh, is a pedophile creep, um, and basically he just wants to profit uh, in order to betray the the king and the crown that is currently uh, in in power. So Joffrey and the Lannisters, and yeah, he makes a solid point, but he's just so like transparently despicable about it. Uh, what deal is going to be better for him? And he's so dishonorable that you know we just instantly hate him. Plus, whenever you want to make somebody hated, you always make him a pedophile, just like they did to Marin Trant. Um, but that's about it. That's where we leave uh, Catelyn in the twins trying to broker this deal. Yeah, the, it, Walter Frey is just the worst. I mean, <laughs> some of the lines he says during that, like, he, I, your mother would have been a, a milkmaid before I squirted you into her belly. And he brags about how he's, he's, his new wife is a little flower and the honey is all his. And he slaps his child bride's ass. I mean, it's this guy's just the worst. Yeah, and he has no loyalty whatsoever. He's got all these these uh, sycophantic children, or I guess sitting around uh, all the time. I don't. Plus, he played Professor Snape in the Harry Potter movies, so I didn't know that him. because I'm not a child. No, I think um, it was Peeves. He played Peeves. Okay. <laughs> so I, I'd like to see like uh, a Kardashian style reality show of the phrase. You know, with all these kids there in that that core or the uh, in the throne room all the time. Just... I agree. I wish we got more of all these people. These, you know, yeah. the, the his prodigy, dozens of prodigy, and their you know, their kids, their extended families. Um, Him yelling at them all the time, and I think it'd actually be pretty funny. Yeah, I think it'd be like the Osborne show. Um, kind of like Ozzy Osborne reminds me a lot of uh, Walter Frey, and you know, Ozzy Osborne probably had a child bride at some point, maybe not officially. <laughs> Sure. That makes sense to me. So anything uh, else on that scene? No, that's pretty much it. I mean, she's yeah. just a creep. So we go to Winterfell and John is talking to uh, uh Mormont and apparently he got a promotion and was taken out of uh house arrest for saving Mormont from the whites. He's given Longclaw, which is a Valyrian steel sword. Uh, we know a little bit, I think, in the show to this point about uh, Valyrian steel. We just We've know it's rare and valuable, I think, at yeah. this point. That's yeah. about it. Exactly. And so Mormont reveals that this is actually his family's sword, and the sword was his son Jorah's, who's over with Danny and Westeros. And, you know, I don't think I even connected that these were the same Mormonts the first time I watched the show. Yeah, I don't why think would I, you? Like he, yeah, I don't know. They could have They could have had a moment. If they were looking for filler, this could have been it. He could have went really off on how... Um, you know how disappointed he was in his son for yeah, you know like selling slaves or whatever. Yeah, an old even, family photo of them together, yeah. <laughs> or a drawing, or described him and maybe didn't like one of these like smash cuts to uh, yeah, you know, Horsey Town or wherever he is. Um, they could have been ways. Yeah, so uh, he reveals that he sent Thorn away. I think he knows that Thorn's the real piece of shit in this situation. Uh, and I think also this scene that John's realizing a little bit more that he is being groomed to be the Lord Commander eventually. Jo- the, Sam's words are, are taking effect. Uh, so he leaves uh, after getting the, the sword. Uh, John leaves. Everyone seems to know what's going on. He yeah, goes to yeah. I want to say that they give him a lot of attaboys on the way to the uh, yeah. mess hall. 
And I yeah. think that rings true of the um, what uh, his uncle Benjamin said that like here on the wall, I don't, it doesn't matter what you were before you came here. A man gets what he earns when he earns it, and not before. And he's yeah. now starting to earn the respect of his men. Yeah, he's trying to see we that killed, lesson. Yeah, kill the white and save the Lord Commander. He's true. Know? Yeah, he's showing he's a worth instead of being this inherited worth that all the lords are. Like, right. you know, these people are just you're supposed to respect them because of their birth, not because of their deeds. You know. Yeah. So uh, once he gets to the mess hall, everybody wants to see the sword. <laughs> Start chanting "sword, sword, sword," which is one of the Otter chance I've ever heard in my life. That's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, he takes out the sword. Everybody's impressed. Rast kind of gives him the stink eye. Rast. Um, yeah. So then John sits down with Sam, and Sam spills the beans that Rob is at war with the Lannisters. Um, and this is this is a situation where Sam should have kept this goddamn mouth shut. Yeah, I mean, I guess he's stuck with loyalty to Rob, or not loyalty to Rob, loyalty to John, because John did, you know, save his ass from being repeatedly beaten in the yard. Uh, mm-hmm. He got him the cushy gig, taking care of Master Eamon's ravens or whatever he's doing. But, um, uh, you know, it, it's a story plot telling device. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it propels John, and, and it leads into the next scene that we have when we go back up to the wall, which I, I like a lot and I want to talk about, but. I guess it was more it was his not his thing to disclose, and I doubt that whoever uh, or that he his, he'd get in trouble for disclosing that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not not just from the perspective of he's he knows he's adding fuel to John's fire to go kick some shit, but but more at the same th- time they reinforce this character trait by him then going and telling Amon that he told John. So he's just yeah. you know yeah. I guess it's consistent that way. Very true. So I'm willing to forgive it. All right, so then we go back to the twins, and Kat returns for her little, um, you know, uh, I guess bargaining agreement, and she's got great deals. She makes the best deals, um, and she says that uh, Walter, they Walter Frey has agreed to let them cross and to give him all his men except for four hundred to hold the castle while everybody else is gone. Four hundred good men. Yeah, but in exchange, Rob ha- uh, Rob has to accept a squire. Uh, Arya has to marry a Frey, and the biggest what the fuck is Rob has to marry a Frey himself. Um, but he seems nonplussed, asked if any pretty ones, you know, were there, and his mom said maybe one. Uh, so Rob was, you know, he's like the ideal, uh, person in this episode in general, uh, but he takes it all in stride. Me personally, uh, I think there was fucking no way she should have let uh, Walter Frey proposition a marriage proposal to the Lord of Winterfell. Maybe Bran at the most. I mean, why not Bran? That's one away from, you know, w- one death away from the seat of Winterfell. Give, uh, give him Rickon. Yeah, or Rickon. Somebody, and once again, it'll be the best marriage that they've ever had. Uh, they wanted just the Tullys, which the Tullys, I guess, are the equivalent uh, rank of being lords of the entire Riverlands. And, you know, at this point, Rob's not king of the north. Right. But, you know, he's going that way, and, you know, it's just a little bit too much for you to let, uh, you know, to do your duty to, you know, obviously he's conflicted duty, but to give your men and let these people pass, you get a daughter who's going to be queen? Uh, it's just a little bit too much. Yeah, I, 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 think, uh, I think that Cat probably... Uh, took too much authority here you know i don't i i don't know why 
I mean, you would have thought that she would have consulted with Rob before making that deal. I don't know. Maybe, it may, but maybe her concern was if she walked out, then Frey would have rescinded the deal. But still, it does seem like uh, it's too much, and she acted with too much authority. I, I agree with you on that. Yeah, but he accepts it all. So yeah, did we ever meet Oliver Frey? Oliver. Yeah, he's the one to be the squire. Oh, uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't remember, so I don't think he has. Um... He comes up big in any way at all, but uh, we'll pay attention as the uh, episodes roll on. I guess that's a, that's a shame. It would have been funny to see a, a one of these McPoyles uh, fumbling around while everything's real serious. Well, in the uh, books, you might remember uh, there's Big Walder and Little Walder, and they end up in Winterfell with Bran and Rickon um, mm-hmm. because of this deal, and they're both pieces of shit. Um, but so we get a yeah, good look at them right. in the books. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Um. So we go back to Night's Watch, and Master Eamon, uh, obviously having been informed by Sam, is talking to Robbie or uh, Jon Snow, discouraging um, him to go. Uh, or he knows that Jon is, is tempted to go try to fight with Rob. He appeals to uh, to Jon Snow's dad or supposed dad's nobility. Um, a bunch of lines about it's easy to be to do your duty when there's no cost. Uh, John has to make the choice. This is his day of trial, so on and so forth. Um, Eamon tells his story and why, and that he um, it's revealed that he's a Targaryen and he ignored all of the Targaryens being killed and um, it stayed at the Night's Watch despite the temptation. And I, it was striking to me. I mean, how does everybody not know that yeah, he's I would a think Targaryen be- there? It would be big news. There would be like, yeah. you know, the old man, the old blind man's Targaryen. There, th- there's no way that's not discussed all the time. Yeah, yeah, especially when they know that it's Jon Snow. Like he, his father, supposed father, had a hand in the in in overtaking the Targaryen family. You know, it, right. it'd be a big deal, I would think. The other question I had from the scene was, do we know the backstory of how Master Aemon ended up here? Uh, no, I mean, I think, uh, in, as far as the books, he studied at the Citadel and became a yeah. maester first, and I, I, I don't know, so one of our listeners, one of our many, many <laughs> listeners can write into uh, thrones at gmail.com or at ashamed of throne and tell us the answer, why Master Raymond's on, what? My best guess is that uh, that he was just assigned there? Like that that even well, though he's at I the wall. Well, that's what I would say. But if you're assigned yeah. there, why would you take the vows? Uh maybe that's part and parcel of the whole thing. That uh, would be a shitty fucking assignment, then. Like, yeah. Okay, you're gonna go live with this lord on on the beach. You're gonna go live with this lord, and they uh, make a lot of wine. You'll you'll enjoy that. And you you get to live at the Night's Watch, and you have to be celibate, and you can't, you know. You're I think he has to be celibate him. anyway. Eh, probably. I don't know. But uh, in the books, there were three temptations because he was actually in line to be king. So there were so many Targaryens. He was like the third or fourth or fifth. Who knows? He was so far down on the line of succession that he became a maester because what else is he going to do? And mm. um, he he came up that he was king and they you know offered him the throne. So that was one of the three temptations, much like Christ. I understand they had to uh, streamline it for the TV show, but uh, you know he he talks about each one of these temptations in the book, um, and it it is a little bit more impactful. 
And let's not forget, this is John's, given what we know now, this is John's great, great uncle, maybe? I don't know. Oh, Listeners, yeah. Yeah. This is, this is a paternal figure um, in his life. This is, you know, a relative of him, says. And, you know, it's all ironic, I guess, in the Alanis Morissette uh, view of the word. But still, uh, it's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't even think about that. Okay. So, if there's nothing else, we'll go on to the horsey no. parade, where Cal Drogo is a bit under the weather, and uh, <laughs> he falls asleep at the wheel and falls off his horse, which is a, a severe no-no in the horsey culture. Because I they, don't think they conveyed, like the books, it was a big deal. I don't think they conveyed what a big deal it yeah, was. Yeah, like people were it's shocked. Cool. Women were like, oh, and it's basically like... Uh, a cow who cannot ride cannot lead. Kind of like a motorcycle gang. If you've ever watched uh, Sons of Anarchy, I haven't. Uh, uh, it's okay. It's it's fun, but it's definitely a guilty pleasure. Um, but anyway, basically, when a call falls off his horse, that means he's done. And that normally happens when a call gets nice and old, or a call's killed in battle. Uh, but to happen, you know, when he's young and just sick, is shameful. Um, so it's the beginning of the end for Cal Drogo here. Um, but a lot of, after a lot of back talk from the subordinate or the vice principal of the situation, um, someone eventually fetches the witch woman, um, who Danny saved from rape slavery in the previous episode to come attend to his wounds. Um, not much to say here. No, not really. It wasn't much to the scene. Nope. Yeah. Where do we go next? So next we go to the Lannister's. Uh, war base. Um, they apparently received the information from the spy. Uh, Tyrion assigns, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Tywin assigns Tyrion to lead the vanguard along with the rest of the hill fil- hillbillies. And as we discussed last week, I mean, that, that's pretty much cannon fodder. And the implication here is that um, Tywin is trying to get Tyrion killed in the line of battle. Um, so the uh, the story <laughs> Tyrion tells a pretty funny story about the hill tribes fighting at night. I enjoy that. Yeah, um, and they're basically a bunch of animals. Um, and Tyrion is like, you know, blames it on him. It's like if there's unruly yeah. uh, soldiers, it's because their commander. Uh, it's the fault of the commander for them not having discipline, which is really unfair because you know Tyrion just got these people out of nowhere. He didn't train them. <laughs> right, they weren't soldiers. They were just. Fucking animals and you know hillbillies that he just collected. So yeah, that, it, well, actually, that he didn't even collect. He envisioned uh, them returning in, to his father, and then his father giving him some them their swords, and then, and then transactions the over. Right. Yeah. So it's um, unfair. So really, Tywin's forced this on him. Um, so uh, th- this uh, Tyrion becomes fat or decides he's not hungry at the news that he will be leading the vanguard with the hillbillies. Returns to his tent, and Bronn is apparently taking a whore from someone else. Uh, when Tyrion walks in, he refers to her as, where did you get this one? Uh, so he meets Shay. Uh, Tyrion offers her some terms of engagement, I guess, uh, which she apparently accepts by uh, disrobing and uh, getting nasty. Yep. Is it? <laughs> it's not a much, there's not much here. Yeah, um, I, I, this the, the, Tyrion always seems to be, um, in terms of prostitutes, he seems to 
uh, try to treat them well. You know, like I don't think he would take like a I don't think he would be involved with a like a slave prostitute, you know, like a sex. Uh, right. Um, the closest but, thing we get is in the books, uh, book five. He takes a prostitute uh, and abuses her um, because he's just angry at life and he's down in the dumps. Uh, and it's pretty despicable. But you're absolutely right at this point. In the he, show, I don't think he's done that. And so this is the first time that it seemed like this. she was more of a piece of chattel as opposed to a person when he's referring to her as this one. or But right. maybe he's just trying to play it cool. I don't know. Something about the scene kind of struck me as odd and, and kind of against Tyrion's character uh, to this point. But Well, it's, there's a couple things I have to say about this scene. The first is, you know, Tywin uh, trying to get his son killed. We still don't understand his hate for his son. On the surface, it's because his son is, you know, uh, handicapped and uh, not as... You know, able body or beautiful as Jamie, I guess. Uh, but that doesn't explain all the hate because he still has Jamie. Like, uh, I, I don't know. So the theory is that T- Tyrion is another secret Targaryen like Jon Snow, and that his father was the Mad King and his mother was Tywin's wife. Um, and he looks at Tyrion and loves him and hates him at the same time. So it's kind of like the Professor Snape thing with Harry Potter. He looks at the kid and l- loves him and hates him at the same time. That makes the most amount of sense for me. That's I would say that's thematically the biggest reason why I think Tyrion is probably a Targaryen. Um, but it's just crazy that Tywin does risk his son's life um, in many ways, particularly this, this one. So... What do you think? About yeah, that? I th- I thought the other theory was that he was mad that uh, that the the Tyrion's mom died during childbirth, so Tywin blamed him for that because I think Cersei does blame him for that, even though obviously it couldn't be his fault. Um, so I thought that was a part of it too, and as well as he's just he Tywin doesn't like Tyrion's lifestyle. Um, he's not doing anything with his gifts. Well, he, you know what? When the uh, soldiers are undisciplined, it's the fault of the commander. So yeah, that's fucking Tywin's fault. By his own yeah. logic, but yeah, that's a yeah. good reason. That's that's a I mean, good reason to reason. hate him as well. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I mean, I I don't know that we even through the through the see, the end of the final season that we've reviewed. I don't think that there's any actual indication that Tyrion is a Targaryen, other than the scene where he goes and talks to the dragons. And yeah, they don't and that was never up. revisited, was it? It was just kind of like no. left there. No, no, that was a really uh, that was a weird one. That was a weird string to drop, but. It You're is absolutely it is. right. But moving yeah. on to Shay, I did want to say at some point, uh, he asks, you know, he asks Shay what her name is, and she's like, "What do you want to call me?" And he's like, "What is the name your mother gave her gave you?" And he's blah 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 blah. And he's like, "I killed my mother." And then Shay says, "Is this what you want me for to talk about moms?" And I was like, "Okay, this this show just got kinky on a whole new level." <laughs> All right. Yeah. Did you, did you know that this lady Shay actually did real pornography? Yeah, she's a porn star yeah. in Europe. Uh, and it, you can see she gets she becomes a better actor. She's not very good <laughs> yeah. in this episode. Um, so her her acting chops improve over the the couple years she's on this show. But uh, yeah, she was a a porn star. So yeah, it, it, uh, her Wikipedia page said that her family stopped talking to her after it, it came to light. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't expect, I don't understand what other result you would expect unless your mom was Jenna Jameson or something. 
uh, and it was like a family business. And your dad was Ron Jeremy. <laughs> my dad, my dad's dad was a pornographer. My dad's dad. <laughs> come from a long line of pornographers. <laughs> I pissed on my grandfather. Came to this country with nothing but a full bladder and a woman to pee on, and somebody huge, to film it. And a huge crank. <laughs> All right, let's go. Let's go to uh, the horse base camp. Okay, and uh, Drogo's in real bad shape. The wound is apparently festering. Um, I think it's uh, Jorah says he'll be dead within a day. By the end of the day, and Danny's of course being um, entitled, stupid Danny. I won't let him die. Thinks her son will be the call, but of, of course he will be killed. And um, so, it wasn't much to that scene other than continuing on this point to where. This 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 episode goes with Danny and Drogo. Yeah, um, it, it, he explains to her gently that this is not Westeros. This, that inheritance doesn't work right. like that. Um, it's all about strength. Um, but then it leads. It the scene continues with um, the. Oh yes, 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 yes. I'm sorry. So then the uh, the call that the not a call, but I don't know the, the assistant vice brawl. Vice yeah. brawl. He kind of looks like Val Kilmer, I think. Like a yeah, like before a, he got really chubby in the face and blue. Yeah, yeah, Cal Kilmer. Uh, so he fetches the witch as Danny's request. Um, Danny, uh, st- she starts doing the. He of course um, objects to her request, but Danny starts doing. And I think this might be the first time that we see Danny do the "I'm the Queen of Dragons," yeah. blah blah blah. And it really isn't that annoying yet. Like she, I feel like no. she does a but better job two, now. She only has two titles at this point. Yeah, you're right. Uh, and of course, uh, Cal Kilmer thinks of her just as a horse lord slut. Um, so the the witch comes, and as she knows a spell, but it's blood magic. No, no, we, but you're missing a very important point. Uh, what's that? Like Davos, this is the second instance of somebody casually yes. suggesting, hey, can you bring people back from the dead? Yeah. <laughs> it's just was- as ridiculous in this scene as it is in season six when Davos asks Melisandre casually out of nowhere, yeah, you think uh, you got any magic spells? Like, like at this point, the uh, this woman is just a healer, but all the Dothraki refer to her as a witch. Um, Which th- this one's actually worse because at least Melisandra, she only knew of it. She'd never done it before. This lady seems to be entirely familiar with it. It's like, bring me a fucking horse. It's go time. Like, <laughs> Let's fucking do you know? this. Yeah. So uh, after the admonition that uh, death pays for life, without it really explaining what that means, Danny is entering into this bargain without having any clue what she's bargaining for. Yeah. Pretty stupid. Um, I would. I would. If somebody. But if she's I was desperate, and she's you know. A yeah, young but if girl I was engaged in a transaction with someone and they said death pays for life, I'd want to discover what the terms of death pays for life exactly. What? Who's dying? Exactly. You but, sound like our lawyer friend. It's this is yeah, you know, it's not that well thought out. It's just like, it, you know, so. you know. Um so then uh, the horse is brought in, she slits the horse's throat, pretty gross. Um uh, Danny exits. Oh Jesus. You hear the horse kind of like yelling. Yeah. Uh, but and I then, even thought the, the and horse they're making, dead. Uh, and the horse's blood makes blood pancakes on Yeah. God, disgusting. <laughs> on Cal Drogo's stomach. Just a bunch of blood pancakes. Don't know. Stop it. Um, so you, I would have thought the horse once they slit its throat, it would have bled out pretty quickly, or at least not been able to do. I liked it struggling. I thought. I mean, not liked it. It's not like I got off on that. Wink, wink. But uh, I did like how fucked up it was. 
Yeah. Because it was level of like really showing you, you know, splattered the, on her face. Yeah. Was, yeah. Gross. And the horse is constantly like struggling to get up there towards the end. Um, yeah. that's good horse wrangling. Um, and it just showed how disturbing slitting a horse's throat would be. Um, so yeah. I, I enjoy it. I appreciated that. Let's say. Yeah. So, uh, outside Jorah's armored, uh, horsey Kilmer, um, runs up to, to fight Jorah because uh, he wants to go into the tent and uh, to find out what's going on. Jorah won't let him. It's weird, though, that there are members of the uh, of the Dothraki inside the tent with this lady holding onto the horse. Like, what? how did those guys get assigned that that assignment? That seems awful because they're going to be in the middle of this blood magic. I doubt they have any idea what's going on in there. Well, they're just um, told to they're, – they're the loyalists that just do what the king or horsey king is, tells them, yeah. and is – you know, the horsey queen in this case. Yeah, so. it's fucked up. So then uh, Jorah fights Horsey Kilmer. And actually, Jorah's supposed to be like this great swordsman. I don't think he looked that good. No, he's supposed to be a, a, a good swordsman. Uh, oh, okay. Like, I he's he's solid. really good. No, nah, he's, he's not. He's, he's good enough to get by on his warrior skills. And I think it's primarily because he's in a land where nobody wears armor. Um, and he uses that to his advantage in this fight. Um, in addition, he doesn't wear a helmet because TV viewers are dumb, uh, and they yeah. couldn't tell Val. <laughs> they couldn't tell uh, Val Drogo versus you know Jorah apart if he was wearing a helmet. I guess is the excuse. But um, so, are we going with Val Drogo or Horsey Kilmer? Um, I don't know. Let's vote on it. You guys tell us. <laughs> Go to yeah, we'll shamethrones dot com and vote. Yeah. We'll so in the in the fracas, Danny is knocked down. She goes into labor. Uh, the midwives refuse to help her deliver the baby because they see she's cursed. So Jorah makes the decision to take her into the horsey tent. Yeah, no, yeah, um, because like one of the uh, subordinates says, uh, which lady knows how to deliver baby? She said so. <laughs> so it was yeah. a suggestion. And Yeah, uh, this was that was weird. And I don't I I wonder if what would have happened if Danny didn't go didn't wasn't uh didn't go into that tent. You know, if, if yeah. her baby would have died, uh, I mean, I guess it's an Spoiler unknown alert, question. By the way, yeah. we may be spoiling uh, things that happen later this season um, and possibly the books and everything. This is your one, one and only spoiler warning. Okay, fair enough. Um, so, but I wonder if Danny going into the tent uh, actually was was the reason that the her, she lost her baby. Like, would the actual would the horse magic thing have worked the sacrifice of the horse for Cal Drogo's life worked if Danny didn't go in there with the, uh, because of she was going into labor. I thought this is the exact same thing. And I wonder, I, I have no idea. Um, but, it it, but I think it, it becomes clear later that the witch actually did poison Cal Drogo. Uh, I thought, well, um, in the, in the, there is some, there are people, uh, and this is way too deep in the culture that think, that she just knew that these people wouldn't listen to her. So she says, she uh, espouses to the end that uh, she treated Cal Drogo properly, but told him not to drink any alcohol, and he didn't listen and and drank like a fucking fish like he always did. And some people say uh, he would have been fine if she if Cal Drogo would have listened to her instructions. Um, and it's the same thing with Danny leaving the tent. If... Danny would have been obedient. Um, she would have been fine, but the witch lady was actually counting on disobedience or uh, them breaking the rules. Uh, I don't know why that matters. I just think um, 
It's a little Dude, ambiguous whether she was meant to, um, you know, it comes out later that she hated Cal Drogo for what yeah. what he did, and it was all intentional somehow. So I guess it doesn't really matter. Her intent was to cause harm. Right. Right. Okay, so then we go back to Lannister camp, and Tyrion, Bronn, and Shay have gotten into their parents' booze and are playing truth or dare. Uh, Shay's a little bit, uh, or immediately uncomfortable with the idea of talking about her past or answering questions about it truthfully. Um, so she turns it around eventually to get Tyrion to talk about his first wife. Uh, and here we get the Taisha story. So, uh, in a nutshell, uh, the Taisha story is that when Tyrion was a young man, he says 16 in the show, but I think it's earlier in the books, like 13, uh, he was out with Jamie. They see a young woman um, getting chased by bandits with a shirt ripped. I guess like a, a in-progress rape. Uh, and Jamie and Tyrion chase them off. Uh, Tyrion comforts her, takes her in, um, you know, gets her cleaned up, and they end up uh, hooking up. Uh, and you know, after a couple weeks, they get they get married immediately and spend two blissful weeks together. Then um, somebody, the guy who married him, the Septa Septon, whatever, uh, finally gets word back to Tywin what happened, and Tywin, you know, takes control here and tells Tyrion that the whole thing was staged, that she was just a whore, that uh, he paid to be in that situation, and. Um, you know, it was all a farce just because they thought, you know, it was time for Tyrion to get his dick wet. Um, that's a vulgar phrase, and I regret saying it, but <laughs> there you have it. You wanted to get some strange? Get some strange about his time. Yeah. Um, so, to hammer po- home the point, um, Tywin had his entire household guard have sex with this girl, Taisha, and pay her a silver each. Um, and in the show, they sanitize a little bit because in the books, Tywin makes Tyrion have sex with her last and pay her with a gold dragon because the Lannister is worth more. So this is just kind of just a really fucked up story. And even Bronn says, I'd kill the man that did that to me, which is a little bit of foreshadowing. Um, but in the end, Shay consoles Tyrion and by making out with him and Bronn awkwardly leaves knowing he's the third wheel i'm not entirely sure that you had to recount the story of i I think i did because it's important um and is it well here it is because we got a a classic doug rant coming ah it's been a while have you missed these (laughs) jesus (laughs) all right so uh part of the jamie redemption plot in the books is that when he frees Ty or Tyrion from the cells after the mountain kills uh, the Viper, and Tyrion's to be executed, Jamie saves his brother. Uh, but he's feeling like he's turned over a new leaf, and he's in the you know the the twelve step program. And part of the thing is coming clean with the people you've um, uh, shadowed over and lied to. And he tells Tyrion that um, his dad told him to lie about Tysha. And that Taisha was really just what she appeared to be, a girl who was in trouble that really loved Tyrion. So that's just a wrinkle that the show chose to fucking leave off because they abandoned Jamie's redemption arc. Um, and I hate it. 
uh, hate the fact that they didn't they didn't include it. So that's why I'm recapping the whole thing. Gotcha. So this was uh, th- actually, you know, at the beginning of the scene, uh, Braun says uh, that this game sounds like a boring game, and I could not agree with him more. This scene, I didn't, I didn't care for the scene. I thought it was boring. Um, Is this the but, one that was padded yeah, for time? This was added later. So apparently, they filmed all the scenes, and then they they realized they did not have enough runtime or screen time, so they filled um, some of the episode. They went back and reshot some of these things. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if there's any other examples, but I know this one was added later just to fill time. And I guess they try to justify it by saying that this provides background to the to the characters. But I don't know that it really – for the purposes of the show, I don't think this added anything other than Shay's got some weird history. But to tell you the truth, I never really gave a shit about Shay in the show whatsoever. Uh, yeah, I didn't either. But it does just, – if you make the, the connection here, the reason why Tyrion – and he even says it in the previous scene. He's like, while you're with me, you will take no other men to, man to bed. He's mm-hmm. trying to basically recreate the situation he had with his first wife. Yeah. Um, he's finding another prostitute, which he's under the impression that his first wife was. And in the show, I guess she was. Um, and having a monogamous relationship with her. So it's just this like weird Humberg, Humbert thing from uh, Lolita where he's just trying to recreate this um, relationship or the first relationship he had is like, you know, one true love. And I guess it makes sense there, but, uh, you're right. It, the beginning part when they're doing this truth or dare, and it takes a while for this to come out, it did remind me a lot about, um, you know, later when we have these awful scenes with gray worm and Miss Sandy and fucking Marine. Yeah. It reeked of that. This was like the precursor for, for those scenes. So I agree with you. I think it was rather boring. Yeah. Okay, so then we um, uh, yeah. next yes so next morning. Are you gonna take it from so, there? Oh no, you go ahead. Go right ahead. All right. Uh, just because it's kind of like you know connected because we don't leave this this area yet. But uh, so Tyrion is awakened by Bronn uh, rudely um, while he's lying next to Shay, informing him that the Northerners have arrived sooner than expected. Um, and Tyrion, you know, gets up, puts on his you know, cute little armor and <laughs> rallies the hill tribes for battle. Uh, but is immediately knocked unconscious by a random hammer of one of the charging guys so that HBO didn't have to spend money on a, on filming a battle scene. Uh, Tyrion wakes after the battle to find the Lannister forces have won, but the victory is short lived since Rob has tricked Tywin and only engaged a small portion of his force so that the main uh, bulk of his force can attack Jamie's army by surprise and fuck him up real good. Yeah, it was, it was weird to me how no one noticed that Tyrion was uh, was knocked down after. I mean, they all just spent several minutes chanting, chanting "half man, half man," but he's knocked down. And everybody just runs by him. You would think that if he was leading the vanguard, at least somebody would have had eyes on him to see that he was knocked down, or Bronn would have been near him, but. Yeah, it's a uh, show invention in his thumb. Yeah, so. just just to get yeah, because I think he actually you did see him battle yeah, in the book, he, and he he, he killed a guy, he fucked a few people up. Yeah, you know, not you know gallantly, but he he did it. So yeah, this this uh this was disappointing that they didn't show any of the battles from these this episode because these seem to be like pivotal battles, or at least they're uh, important to the story. 
Um, and they just kind of gloss over them. I, I'm sure it's for budget reasons, it's, but it's definitely I mean, 100% for budgetary reasons. Yeah, it was frustrating having that these huge battle or important battles between the main characters, uh, or at least the main characters are involved. We didn't see any, we saw seconds of it before Tyrion was knocked down. And then the only other action that we saw was the, uh, hillbillies beating, uh, yeah, beating the up aftermath. the half dead. Yeah. So yeah, so, not not mm-hmm. not a lot to go over here. I think. Yeah. So then we go to the uh, Catelyn Stark, and she's waiting. I think she's with Beard Burns. Yep. Uh, Rob shows up, and or apparently Rob has beaten Jamie Lannister's army. Yeah, another Take, budget uh, cutting. Not seeing yes. this battle either. <laughs> and this was called the Battle of Green Fork. Um, and apparently they wanted to. I thought it was the arrest- Whispering Woods, but I don't care. So keep going. Uh, so I actually read that they wanted to film the Battle of Green Fork. This was on the initial plan, but they didn't have the budget to film it. Oh. So this, yeah, so this would have been one that they – and I, this this would have been fucking great. because, yeah, we because would have it would have been a slaughter J- of the Lannister forces, and it would have made us feel yes. so much better about what's happening later in the show. And it really would have set up like the uh, the later disappointment when we when the the Starks get murdered because we would have thought they're doing even better than you know it would have created I think in the viewer a more of a set. I mean it's kind of detached what we see it's detached from the actual absolutely battle. what we have yeah. here is Rob successfully defeating half of the Lannister forces in the field yeah now, uh, you know obviously these are the Lannister forces and not the royal forces question mark. Like, we we don't know whether Joffrey can call the banners and say, hey, you guys in the Reach, you know, the the Tyrells or whatever, hey, you go, fight, you go fight Rob Stark up north. We don't get to any of that. Right now, this fight is between the Lannisters and the Starks. And right now, the Starks just had a resounding victory by defeating half of the Lannister forces for what we know. Yeah. I mean, just the scene of Jamie being taken would have been spectacular. Um, but anyways, uh, despite everyone celebrating, Rob realizes that war is hell. They might have won this battle, but they didn't win the war. And remarks on the, the 2,000 men that he sent to their death, uh, which is – yeah, I mean, it it is um, – that is – I don't think – I mean, the show did kind of highlight it, but it's interesting to me, uh, or at least bears some repeating, that the 2,000 men that they sent to fight the Lannisters – we're almost guaranteed to die. I don't yep. know how any of them survived. It's really fucked up um, that, you know, it's really a squabble between these two families over a bunch of nonsense, and they're just sending man after man to their death. You know, it's it's messed up. It really, it really is. Absolutely, but you can see that, you know, they make Rob the idyllic leader because yeah. he laments this where, you know, you have Greyjoy going, yay, we kicked ass, and Rob is like, almost cartoonishly ideal. Um, yeah. And in addition to, yeah, lamenting the fact that he sacrificed 2,000 people, um, he also didn't get goaded into single combat with Jamie. Um, he didn't let his passions get the best of him because I'm sure he would have loved to have murdered Jamie with his own hands. But, you know, he held back. Right. Um, so they're really setting him up to be like, you know, the new paragon of virtue. For certain. Yeah, agreed. All right, so um, now we're going to go down to King's Landing, and Arya's running around in the streets trying to eat pigeons like a goddamn street rat. Well, she wants to trade the pigeons for... For real food. Nah, yeah. she, she'll eat the pigeon eventually. But spoiler warning, this won't be the last time that bitch is a street rat. 
So get ready for more of that. Uh, but meanwhile, the church bells start to toll, and everybody's running off to the Septa Baylor to see the hand of the king. Um, so she goes along with everybody else, and then we switch over to uh, Ned's perspective. And on the way to stand before the king, Eddard sees Arya in the crowd on the statue of Baylor, and then tips off Yorin, the man who's from the Night's Watch, who's there to collect uh, recruits from the dungeons that we saw in the previous episodes. Uh, he tips him off that she's Arya, his child, is at the Sept of Baylor or at the statue, so go protect her. Um, then he's dragged up before everybody else, and you know he definitely looks at Sansa, and she encourages him with a head nod. Uh, he lies and says he's guilty of treason, that he conspired to take the crown for himself and away from Joffrey, which, you know, is a bridge too far. Um, he also, in, in addition to uh, saying he's guilty of treason, he also professes that Joffrey is the one true king. Um, and despite doing exactly what the Lannisters want him to do, um, and against his various, very obviously upset mother, Joffrey orders Ned executed immediately and for Sir Illyn Payne to bring him his head. Um, and this goes off pretty quickly. And in the chaos, Yorin finds Arya and shields her from the gruesome scene. Um, but Ned gets his head taken off and we do see the sword go through his neck like for a split second. Mm-hmm. And we hear the sound. Um, so yeah, Ned's dead. Um yeah, it, it, everybody was upset with um, Joffrey there. Um, you saw Littlefinger run over there. You saw the um, saw Pycelle run over there. Um, but yeah, this is this was tough. This was tough. I agree. Like watching it again, I didn't realize that I'd be like emotionally invested. Like right now, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm. You know, it's like a you know after you've been a doctor for a while or a coroner, you're like, oh, it's just dead meat. You know, no big deal. I'm just examining this. But then you realize, you know, fuck, man, this sucks. Um, and it, yeah. And it, it, it kind of brought me down, like I got to say, which is, is a testament to the story, uh, George R. R. Martin's uh, storytelling ability and the, the double D's bringing it as an adaptation. Once again, I think, you know, I, we give these people a lot of shit, but I think their real talent is in the adaptation, not the invention of their own material. Um, and I think they do a hell of a job here. Uh, bringing this to the screen. This is one of those pivotal Game of Thrones moments like the uh, Red Wedding where, you know, this is, these are one of those moments where you go, this would be, this would make a great fucking TV show. Um, Right. So, and I think they did this justice. So, got to give them praise. Yeah. Did you notice the the birds that flew when Sean Bean got Sean Bean? That kind of took me out of it. It looked like a, Almost like a John Woo type movie, you know, where and it looks like stock the, footage because it didn't give yeah. you any context. Those birds weren't released from like uh, a building that we've seen in the establishing shot. They were just like birds in an open sky. It was just like somebody went to yeah. like the computer and said stock footage, pigeons flying, um, and they inserted it there. But you know, there's that beautiful art. There's this uh, series of paintings, and uh, I don't know if it's paintings, but uh, graphical art called uh, Beautiful Death. That's all about the the deaths that are in um, Game of Thrones, and there's this one of Ned getting his head chopped off, and the blood dripping from his neck turns into birds flying away. It's really well done. So, uh, if you haven't checked that out, I would recommend it. Okay. Um, one other question I had was, 
Why is Yorin so loyal to the Starks? Because the Starks are the only, like, the Northerners in general are the only ones that respect the Night's Watch. Um, okay. And, you know, uh, I think they've said it, I don't know if it comes across in the TV show, but they definitely uh, treat the Night's Watch with respect and will, like, put them up for the night when they come through, where I imagine a lot of the other houses just were like, you know fuck you, go sleep in the street or whatever. They don't, they're not hospitable, hospitable. Okay. Um, so, you know, <clears throat> and they just, in general, the respect that they show for the night's watches, uh, apparent with Jon Snow, his own, albeit a bastard son, um, volunteering to go there. Um, so they just show Which, the night's watch a lot of respect. And I feel like Yorin's just reciprocating that. I, it seems to me that he's taking a side and protecting um, Arya, um, which sure you know, is. But I mean, like, yeah. I, I don't see like it, there's a difference between taking the side if it was like if all things were equal. But then you have the innocence of children, mm-hmm. and I don't see how you don't take the innocence of children side instead of the Stark versus Lannister side. You know what I'm gotcha. saying? Yeah, I do. I, it just if he was only concerned with the 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 uh, Night's Watch. I mean, he could have just walked on or actually taken Arya and tried to get a ransom for her or at least try to get, reap some riches for the uh, for the Night's Watch. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I just didn't under- necessarily understand Yorin's um, motivation in the show that well. Well, I mean, at least they established it. Even if you, you accept all that, they at least established it earlier with Yorin coming to Ned earlier um, a couple episodes back. Oh, yeah. Relating Mm -hmm. that um, his wife took Tyrion hostage. So that's established pretty, pretty well there. You're right. You're right. Um, So it is, it is kind of weird, but at least they did that attempt to make you okay with it. Um, I had a couple thoughts additional. Um, I forgot how much I hate Joffrey. Like, like, God, that kid, that kid's goddamn face. At this, at this point, like, he was just annoying this whole season, but like, I was just like, I felt real hate at this moment where he's just like, you know, my mom wants me to spare him, and my uh, darling Sansa says, you know, plead to mercy, but they have the soft hearts of women. And as long as I'm king, you'll know that traitors will be punished severely. And I was just like, you fucking piece of shit. Hated him. Yeah, because before he was a brat. Now, he, now I think this was a transition to where he's a tyrant. Yeah, you know, he's, he's... Yeah, the, this is a whole step, another step for him. Right, and I always point to... Uh, I don't know if it was an Outer Limits or a Twilight Zone where, like, there was a young kid who had all this psychic ability uh, and telekinesis ability. He could make things materialize and he was killing people, um, but doing it as a child with, like, cartoon uh, animals come to life and shit. It's very terrifying. But this is what happens when, you know... Uh, you you think is, that if you would, you always point to it, you would know which one it was. Whether it's well, I think I pointed to it in one other time. You know no, what? I'll you? go. I'll go ahead and do the research and figure out what the um, the illusion is. But it was one of those things that ter- terrified me as a child, and uh, because it rang so true, even as a child, I was like, "Yeah, I know kids like this. I know kids that are pieces of shit, and if they had, they didn't fear, you know, repercussions from authority figures, they mm-hmm. would." you know, kill people. They would just be complete fucking sociopaths and psychopaths. Um, yeah. And that's exactly what Joffrey is. He's a fucking sociopath. He doesn't feel any remorse. He does whatever he wants. Um, he doesn't have a moral compass. He's a piece of shit. 
But what I want to ask is, do you think he did it uh, in the books? It's alluded, or like uh, maybe alluded that people influenced him to make this decision, maybe Littlefinger. Uh, and I don't feel like that came across in the show at all. I feel like no, the show portrayed no. it as Joffrey acting as a rogue agent to make this happen, right? Yes. It, it, it seemed like everybody, I might be recollecting this incorrectly, but it seemed like everybody ran over was was pleading with him not to do it. Except for Ilan um, Payne and the, uh, the Kingsguard. Yeah. Well, he's a piece of crap, though. We know that. Yeah. Yep. So, do you think everybody, anybody ever says, uh, you're in trouble? <laughs> you're yep. in some real shit now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yorin is awful close to urine. Yeah, um, and but- just like Euron Greyjoy. So, you have Yorin, Euron, Greyjoy. Um, I, I don't know. I guess there's so many characters that George, you know, <laughs> so repeated far- himself. Yeah, what? Have, yeah, like the. Uh, there's also in the one book, um, BC's Drogo. This, yeah, uh, God. No, it's, it's not actually a character named BC's. BC's? It's too close to feces. Oh Jesus! I thought you were talking about. <laughs> no. Jesus! I thought you were going on like the Viserys. No. You know, because the, there's a million Viserys and um, whatever. You were trying to make a scatological joke. That's hilarious, and linking it to the urine joke. Awesome. Uh, when you break down comedy, it falls apart. And having said that, I guess let's wrap this Cut up. That. No, <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, let's wrap this up. So, as a whole, give me your rating and then your sandwich rating, and then I'll give you my uh, ten point scale rating. Ooh, man, I, I'm running out of sandwiches. There's not that many sandwiches. Uh, ooh, chicken parmesan sandwich. That's pretty good. Chicken cutlet. Yeah. Mm. Breaded or grilled. Oh, come on. Breaded and fried. Yes, sir. I'm not eating that for my health. That's pretty good. Okay, so I'm going to I'm gonna rate that. Uh, my rating is going to be a 4.5. Um, I think this is one of the best episodes of Game of Thrones, most well-rounded, and you're right. After further examination, that, that one part with the, uh, you know, Mary never Fuck Kill, or Never Have yeah. I Ever, whatever that stupid drinking game is, it just went on a little bit too long. I feel like if that was cut down... Um, but otherwise, just a fucking solid episode of TV I, here. I, I well, th- yes, there were definitely good scenes, but there wasn't a lot of action to it. Yeah, um, you did get, and, but a lot of things action, happened. Like there, there's a difference between yeah. action sequences, and I hate action sequences for action sequences' sakes, especially when they look like Xena action sequences. Like when we have like Brienne come out of nowhere and like kill three dudes, and they all wait their turn to get killed. I'd rather have no action sequence than a bad action sequence. I agree, but I, I'm, I'm docking at points. So I think the ending really bolstered what your impression of the episode was. And then Absolutely. I'm docking at points for not including um, any of the battles and instead skipping over what could have been more interesting moments. I agree, so, but at the same time, uh, the, the amount of money to make those battles yeah. come off, uh, I, I don't know. There's probably ways to do it, but they didn't have the imagination to pull it off. Like, I feel like they could have done, like, uh, you know, just, like, close camera on people instead of showing the scale of the battle. Just kind of, like, sure, uh, you know, close you know close camera angles on Braun killing a couple of the guys and Tyrion being surrounded by dudes and chopping them in the legs with his axe, which is what he does in the book. Doing a really bird with his axe. Yeah, but, but still, I think it's a very solid episode, so. Yeah. Yep, yep. All right, if there's nothing else, we will go on to season one's finale next week. Are you excited? 
Oh, I am. So this is episode 20. Can you imagine 20 episodes? Does it feel like we've been doing this a lot longer? Oh, it's it's a constant burden. (laughs) I I mean, yeah. (laughs) And if it wasn't for all the money we make from this podcast, from advertising and Patreon, I don't think we'd keep up with this. No, it's a labor of love to me. (laughs) Yeah, and we only have to keep it up for another, I don't know, 40 some odd weeks probably. Yeah, we'll see about that. Yeah, we'll see how it goes, guys. We might be doing a, uh, I don't know, uh, True Detective Season 3 uh, podcast before long. <laughs> so this crap. For Brian, this is Doug saying, see you next Tuesday. And don't die. And don't. Uh, all right, great. <laughs> <laughs>